everybody welcome back to another episode here in the choir room it is glee season two episode number nine we are here at sectionals baby we've got a special guest but before we get to our guest uh let's of course welcome in aman aman we are here at sectionals yes we have fought our way valiantly all the way through the first part of this season all the way to sectionals super excited i mean every, i mean how can you be a glee fan and not enjoy the sectionals episodes they're always some of the best uh in the entire series and i'm i particularly like this one because we get some new voices featured this time around and i feel like this is like a sectionals episode that i often forget about um so it's always a treat to come back to it so i'm really excited to talk about today's episode well it's funny that you say that because uh the guest that we have here is somebody who is a very big glee fan um maybe even somewhat of the uh inspiration what uh, of what got me to rewatch when i did a couple months back because he wouldn't stop talking about glee for uh, an unknown period of time and i was like i think that might have had something to do with it uh but let me stop rambling uh charles kurz is here with us today first of all thank you if i had any if I had any impact on you rewatching and creating this podcast that I've had so much enjoyment out of, I think that's the best thing I've done in a long time. So first of all, thank you. On, thank you on that. Part. <laughs> um, but couldn't be more excited. I, I actually have to, you know, start off with vehemently disagreeing with Amon. I think this is one of the most memorable episodes of the show for me um, for, for a few reasons that I think we'll get into, but I, but I'm unbelievably excited for it for those reasons. Um, and, and I like, I completely agree with what Amon said about, highlighting different voices and stuff like that but i think there's also some really interesting new characters coming into the mix uh character development um mm-hmm. plots uh stuff like that 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 we can dive into and and definitely get get into deep but um I, you know i think we'll we'll spend a lot of time talking about the songs too and i there's some there's some all-timers here yeah, so that's what I was, that's what I was trying to get at. Uh, it was you know Aman was saying how this is an episode that has maybe not stuck out for him. Uh, Charles, this is an episode where as soon as you know we had, uh, as soon as I told you and everybody that this podcast was happening, you had said put aside special education for me. That's my episode. That's the one that I'm coming to guest on. So you have had this episode in mind for a while now, and we're finally here. And you know a peek behind the curtain for anyone out there that's listening uh, in real time. We've had a little bit of a break, like almost over a week uh, since we recorded the last episode some real life stuff came up that's uh you know uh, you know stopped us from being in here uh as consistently as we were but uh charles we are very excited that we're finally here for this episode for you so uh, i mean let's just let's just talk about uh overall hey, quickly to interrupt i quickly interrupt i think that's the beauty of the choir room right both in the show and and here right so you need a distraction from real life sometimes and, and I've, I've been looking forward to this for a while for that reason I couldn't agree more. Uh, life has been not the most fun for me lately, not to be too much of a downer, but uh, it is, you know, one of the reasons that I was ready to get back into this is because this is a very fun show that brings a lot of joy and is exactly what you said, yeah. a, a distraction. So happy to be back here. Um, but Charles, 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 what is it about this episode that you love so much? I mean, I guess starting high level, you know, I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but Valerie, uh, you know, I think 
Well, you, you know, I don't want to go too inside baseball, but you did a little poll for your friends about the best songs in the history of Glee. Yes. And I believe Valerie won that poll. So, you know, I, listen, I may not be my favorite, number one favorite song, but I, I think it's certainly in the top five. Um, and, of the, you know, some of the episodes have top five songs, don't have much else. Um, so I, that's kind of how I thought about picking this episode. I went through the list of my, you know, four to ten favorite songs in the history of the show that are really that really were memorable for me, and then kind of thought about what those episodes were. And this one just had the most other stuff going on that really interests me uh, that I'm excited to talk about as well. For sure. So, you know, a little bit of Glee backstory here. Uh, tell us, you know, how you got into the show, what you love so much about it, and we, of course, need to know who your Glee stand card is with. So I'm an interesting case. Um, I... You know, I've changed a lot over the years and, you know, unlike you guys, I didn't have the privilege of really even being really exposed to the show back in the day. I mean, I'd, I had 100% heard of it. I think my sister, I had some vivid memory of when telling, telling Finn or the group that she was pregnant. And that was like my only real exposure to the mm-hmm. show other than, you know, just hearing about it, hearing the songs just that were floating around iTunes and that kind of thing. Um, so... You know, I ended up actually refinding the show, and I think you, you know, you probably have talked about this a little bit, but about a year ago now, which is crazy that's a year ago now, I was listening. My friend, another time, I mean, I also came to Amy Winehouse pretty late, and my friend was playing a, you know, Valerie for me, and it just changed my world. Um, and so I started listening to Valerie pretty much nonstop for like a two week period, and obviously came across the Glee version, and uh, just watched it and was like okay this is really interesting like i didn't quite realize this is what the show really was um so i somehow was bored on like a friday night and threw on the first episode uh which i really had no prompt for me to do that and uh did about two full watches in the next two months after that and have not stopped listening to the music even to today yeah um so i think it really hit me at the right time um, in my life, I, you know, I think my, like I said, my perspectives on things have changed a lot. Um, and I think it really hit me in a, in a way that meant a lot to me. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, as much as we're going to make fun of the show for a lot of things it does, um, there, there are things that I think are really great about it too. Um, and it's led me down a lot of different paths. I think I'll bring up as, as we get along that are a little bit sidewinding, but, uh, you know, I've dived into a lot more of the world of musical theater and, and, uh, you know, different stuff based off of my Glee watches as well. Right. And your, and your stand card, who's your number one? So I know it's the kind of cop out answer. And we've talked about this a lot. So it's definitely Santana. And, yeah. it, you know, obviously a, this is a great Santana episode, uh, just given that this is her first real breakout solo performance. Um, and we'll get into that. And, you know, from a pure song perspective, one of the reasons why I love Valerie so much, but I want to mention a couple of characters, at least one character that I think, you know, from what at least I've listened to in season one, hasn't gotten much love yet. And that's Bert Hummel. And I think he's one of my top five characters. And, and I and all I've been hearing from you guys and our other friends that talk Glee is that, the, you know, the parent stuff on the show is generally pretty bad. And I don't disagree, but I just think Bert, Bert Hummel's eternal and, and has some of the, and I think <laughs> the reason Kurt Hummel is even likable at times um other than maybe the occasional blame scene so uh, i just want to show some love to him i think he's a great character and 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 uh what definitely my top five favorites on mm-hmm. top of your, your normal favorites i would say mm-hmm. quinn is up there for me uh blaine Brittany, santana and i think bert's right there with them 
right. Yeah. Um, we uh, will have to make sure that you listen to the uh, Lita Broman episode very soon because we have at least a couple people that have come on this podcast with some anti-Bert Hummel takes. No, I don't think she was anti-Bert. I think she just did not care about him at all. Um, she was so- quasi-anti-Bert. She was like, uh, she was more off the Bert train than she was on. Pretty was much. Fine. That's fair. That sounds like someone who doesn't remember the little moments, you know? Well, uh, she she's only watching for the first time, like, all the way through right now, and who knows when she'll end up stopping. But, yeah, she hasn't gotten, like, the full bird experience. Maybe she'll change yeah. her tune. We'll see. I think you just slow burn. Like, I think season one, you get virtually no Bert. I think season two, you get kind of Bert in, in relation to his marriage and, and uh, you know, how that affects Finn and Kurt more. And then I think in season three, four, five is when you start to get Bert, you know, when he's running for, for Congress and, and all these things happen to him and to, and to, and to Kurt, I think is when you really start to get Bert shining. And I, and I, so I completely understand the take from early seasons, but you know, I think he's one of my favorite TV dads and I'm a purveyor of TV dads uh, in general. And I think he's up there for me. I think he just feels really real uh, to me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got a chance to talk about him now because Bert is not in this episode for even a half a second. <laughs> That's why so I to bring it up. Glad, glad we got that in now. But yeah, let's get into this episode where Bert Hummel does not exist. Uh, he's there somewhere, just not on screen. Uh, so let's get into this episode, Amon. We have, we're going to open up with Will Schuster and Emma Pillsbury. They are getting ready for sectionals. Will has got Emma some tickets, which are somewhat expensive or hard to come by or whatever the hell he's talking about. Um, and Emma pretty much clocks him right away because she, she he's talking about the set list that he's put together. And she's like, hmm, let me guess. So Rachel and Finn are going to do a ballad. Uh, and then the kids are going to join in with the classic rock number. And then Mercedes is going to belt out the last jaw dropping note. And Will's like, uh, have you been going through my desk? And Emma's like, you do this all the time. It's the same songs every single time. And he's like, I'm just trying to showcase my stars. That's what, that's what people are supposed to do. That's what you usually do. Uh, and Emma goes through an entire spiel about how like, listen, you have all of these different people with different talents. Uh, Quinn is a beautiful voice. Mike can dance. Brittany can dance. There's so much talent on the team. Um, you, you know, you guys are supposed to, you're usually the underdog, but this year people have confidence in you. They have faith in you. They think that you are going to do well. Uh, so why don't you use this as as an opportunity to show your entire team, not just Finn and Rachel. So Aman, we have, uh, Emma making another positive influence on the Glee club. Yeah. I mean, Emma really coming in with some hot takes here. I mean, I guess they're not particularly hot because like she said, (laughs) I mean, well, you follow a lot of. I mean, you, it, it, you're, it's a drag queen's iPod. That's, that's <laughs> the perfect description. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not really surprised. I'm not really. I don't understand why he was so surprised that she would come at him like that. And also, we definitely had this arc happen before, where some of the Glee kids are, and there's, there's certainly a lot more vocal, um, in season one. Uh, about, you know, I don't want to be swinging in the background to Rachel. I want a solo too. I want I want my shot in the spotlight. Um, so the fact that we sort of like have to get reminded, oh yeah, Rachel is still up to her usual antics, still not letting other people shine. And I guess Will just like accepts it too because he's about to give her yet another solo and the kids this time just seem fine with it. So it's just like, damn, Rachel must really just overpower everybody from week to week to week and they're just like you know what I'm I I'm, I'm I have no fight left in me and I'm done because the minute that he decides to give them a chance they like perk up like oh wow and I'm like see if you guys had like kept up that energy in season one you probably wouldn't have such a big a big Rachel problem but 
like I said about Tina back in season one when she gave up that solo, that was the beginning of the end. That was. And look where we are now. It's pretty crazy how far we've come from like the early days of Will and uh, Rachel not getting along and Will not giving Rachel anything that she wanted in any way. And now here we are that like Will only is giving Rachel solos. He's only paying attention to her and Finn because they're the stars and he wants to highlight them. Um, and he, he, you know, Emma's like, you're neglecting all of these other people you're not paying attention to. Uh, a million other kids that are in the Glee Club that have she talent. So even a fucking star. Okay, they, yeah, they, they let him, right? Like they they let him be uh, the 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 male lead because he's a football player. He's the quarterback of the football team. And the last time I checked, football credentials do not make Glee Club uh, uh, credentials. He is not even the best male vocalist. Don't get me wrong. I love Corey Monteith's voice. I I have palate for a great diverse array of vocal talent. Okay, but if we're gonna break things down by the numbers. Like, he does not have the best voice, and if you want to make the case, okay, maybe you could say Artie has the best voice, but he doesn't have the best legs, so he can't be the fucking male. <laughs> we get it. But still, like, I don't understand why we're acting like Puck is the only one, or excuse me, that Finn is the only one that could be with, handle the, the, the that spot in the Glee Club. He can't even dance, for goodness sake. Why is he out in front? Listen, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, Will shows up at the choir room and he is, you know, about to inform them that he's got a different plan for sectionals. Of course, Rachel's going to jump right in. Uh, she has an announcement to make that she has found the perfect moving ballad for Finn and her to sing uh, to launch their performance at sectionals. And Will's like, all right, relax first. Uh, let me tell you guys, we're going to actually do something different. Uh, the groups that we're competing against are your classic stool chair groups. So they're just, you know, basically saying that they're boring, uh, but they don't move. So, I mean, we obviously see the first group that's at sectionals, but I feel like he's kind of making a dig at the Warblers about how they don't really do a whole lot besides like sway back and forth, uh, which again, we'll get into later. So uh, we're going to have Brittany and Mike do some dancing and we are going to have the winners of the duets competition take the leads in this uh, upcoming performance. And Rachel's like, Ken and Barbie, are you kidding me? Uh, and this is going to lead to some Rachel confrontation with, with Will, with everybody, but specifically with Santana. Charles, we are going to get uh, Rachel versus Santana as the big secret is now out about Santana and Finn from last, last year. Uh, yeah, First of all, great. It's just, I think it's just basically Santana's emergence, and I'm excited to talk about it quickly on on kind of this whole beginning opening scene. I think it's kind of the the beauty and the frustration with Glee in a nutshell is like this is almost meta in a way, in that it, what Emma's saying here is like what the viewers are saying that the first season and a half is all Rachel and Finn, and and uh, you know I think everybody who watches the show who has any kind of ear for music understands that there's other really good people in the glee club who should get sing uh, solos and clearly them asking for it is not working so the fact that you know ryan murphy and the rest of the writers are putting this in means that they know that people are feeling that way but then the the, the frustration with glee is then they go on doing the same thing for a long period of time after this as well so it seems like they're really making a breakthrough and in some ways there are we got we start to get a lot more santana and a lot more other things, but then we still get basically no Mercedes and no Tina and no, you know, all these other Artie and other people who have great voices throughout the rest of the show as well. So I think that's, you know, that, mm -hmm. my, that was my first thought of watching the beginning of this episode. On the Santana stuff, I mean, you know, I, I think that the beginning, you know, the early Santana is really tropey and kind of fits the mold of just like very snarky, bad girl. I think this is the beginning of her transformation. I think this episode, she's <laughs> some of the height of her snarkiness. Um, but I feel like once she finally gets a chance to shine and we start to see, you know, a very different side of her. And I think we start to see the Britney relationship. 
Um, I, you know, I don't know about you guys, but that gives real sparks flying in that in the performance of Valerie, which we'll get to. But um, uh, so I think this, you know, I, this couldn't have worked out better for as a viewer. Like I said at the beginning of the show, Santana's by far my favorite character, um, and and the, one of the reasons why I love this episode is it really launches Santana. Aman, I feel like any time that we see a Rachel and Santana fight, it's like you and me fighting because uh... <laughs> I, I loved this scene because I just felt I mean, I, one of the things that I love the most about Glee is seeing the, the kids interact with one another and getting those. I mean, Ryan Murphy has a penchant for uh, quick and witty dialogue and quick camera pans of getting every character's reaction as much as possible. He like really knows how to like create moments with these characters. And so when Santana just blurts out, yeah, I uh, uh, fuck your man, honey. And like, <laughs> Artie is like, just like taking in all yeah. of that stuff. And, and Finn is just sitting there with like the most pained, like, like, <laughs> just like the most horrid expression on his face. It's just, and then Rachel just looks utterly broken. I'm just like, I love stuff like this because you just get to see who these who who these kids are and how they how they handle shit like this. I, I thought it was amazing. I loved it. Yeah, and now we're seeing why uh, why why Santana was pulling this at the wedding because she has just been dying to get into Rachel's head and to tell her about this. So, yeah, uh, Ra- Rachel now knows about uh, what happened last year. She is you know been in the dark this whole time, and she's probably one of the only ones that didn't know about it. It seems like other people knew. We we find out later in the episode that Kurt knew. There's probably uh, not many people left besides Rachel that did not know about this. But. Which I love that they did that too because it's sort of like get, put us on Rachel's perspective because like she, I we didn't know that all these because we were yeah we're gonna find out through the episode like literally everybody knew and they never told us that everybody knew it was sort of like always like a mm-hmm. thing between him and Santana and so the fact that we're finding out with Rachel is just like oh damn girl you're whoo <laughs> <laughs> yeah I always find that. I always find that the way the information spreads in the Clay Hub is is hilarious. Uh, you know, these people are some of the most gossipy people I've, that that you could possibly imagine. Uh, so I just assume that everybody knows everything at this point. When you start to get to, um, you know, when we re- remember the reveal about who knew about you know Puck and everything like that, just uh, you know, everybody knows everything. And it's always Rachel who seems to be left out of these conversations, which I think is is great. But then you get her reactions and scenes like this. Yeah, um, the they're they're doing this all without uh, Jacob and Israel even being involved. So uh, props to them that they can spread the drama without uh, you know all the gossip without him being there. Because the less JBI we get, the happier I am. Um, let's go over to Dalton. Let's go over to our new second scene or our second setting here uh, in the Glee universe. Now that we have Dalton in the mix, it's gonna come up a pretty good amount. Uh, Kurt Hummel is arriving at Dalton where we last left off. He uh, told the new directions that he was switching schools. He was, he could not stay at McKinley because he's no longer comfortable. Karofsky was allowed back at school and you know, he can't stay there. So uh, he is now at Dalton and he is going to, you know, go to his first practice with the warblers where he gets introduced to this bird, uh, Pavarotti shallow that, uh, (laughs) That's what, I think that's its name, right? Pavarotti. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Pavarotti Shallow. I wrote that in my notes every single time it came up. Um, and You've they, been waiting for a while to tell that joke. I yes. Like. Uh, hold for applause. Uh, so they tell him that like it's like his responsibility to look after the bird. Uh, I don't understand why this bird has such significance besides the fact that Kurt's later going to end up singing Blackbird. Um, is that the only reason that this bird exists? Am I forgetting something? 
I just think that they needed something to tether him to this new environment and the having to care for the bird is like a good reminder. Oh yeah, I don't know why they couldn't perform in that and you know being surrounded by the warblers, but I think that they just needed something to like, you know, make his move more significant to us and to him by taking care of that damn bird. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I never I never really cared about paparazzi to be honest. I did it worked on me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think part of the reason why it didn't for me is I didn't know who Pavarotti was the first time I watched, even a year ago. The first She's time, a legendary person. icon uh, who is uh, nothing. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think the, the fact that the pun didn't play on me as much, I think, was a, a big factor in me not caring. This, and a second watch, which I knew who Pavarotti was, I think it, it had a little bit more of an impact on just kind of the vibe that the Warblers are going for here. Yeah. Uh, so they're talking about the set list for sectionals and they have a table of three guys that seem to be the guys that are making the decisions here. Um, and they're talking about the set list. Blaine is telling Kurt that they don't have a director. Uh, every year they elect three upperclassmen to lead the group. Um, and he's like, but don't worry, we all get a say. And Kurt's like, oh, fantastic. Everybody gets a say. That's perfect because I have a lot of ideas. He's like, uh, may I? Like, can I tell you my ideas? So I, he's like, listen, so I can't deny that the Warblers vocals are absolutely dreamy, but I believe that our our set list for sectionals this year should have a little more showbiz panache. Uh, he's like, I think we should open with Rio by Duran Duran. Um, and everyone's like looking at him like he has 10 heads. Nobody knows what to do with this guy that just came in offering like an entire, you know, he's been thinking about this for how long now? Um, and the guy that's sitting at the table is like, all right, Kurt, listen, I like the enthusiasm, uh, but you're going to have to hold that. Maybe it'll come in handy one day when you're sitting behind this desk, but probably not today. So Kurt is not fitting in as well as he probably would have hoped as he gets started here, Amon. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why like, why you had the balls to even do something like that because you just got here and you really shouldn't be calling any kind of shots. Um, so I think, he, I think it was nice that it was good for him that he was shot down so early because you can't just like come up in a new spot, especially with a successful Glee club already. Like they already have a bit of a reputation. Like your old Glee club was scared of this Glee club. So they don't really need any advice on what they should be doing for sectionals. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, I mean, listen, I, I have strong feelings on Kurt Hummel being insufferable in general, not like 75% of the time. And I think this is a prime example of that. I it just, you know, but I think the more hilarious thing to me is when 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 everyone's like, "Oh, this is a committee, and this is how we decide things," and then obviously, you know, how they actually decide things is just Blaine deciding what song he wants to sing at every given performance that, that they want to do. It's just hilarious looking back in the future. They've all these people audition, and know, nothing for, changes because Blaine stuff, gets and nothing everything. Nothing changes. Blaine is just going to take every solo, yeah. no matter what happens. Yeah, he you know he's trying to preach about how this is like a, uh, this is a team. We're all one team. We all you know we all work together and collaborate on on everything. But you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, no Blaine. This is this is the Blaine show, uh, which I'm not complaining about. It's just let's let's call it what it is. Um, but we'll, we'll get back to the Warblers in a, in a bit, uh, back at McKinley, Rachel and Finn are in Miss Pillsbury's office and they're getting some couples therapy, which is not exactly therapy because, uh, Rachel literally makes a comment at one point. She's like, as a therapist, uh, is it productive for me to slap him right now? Cause this is not going well. And I was like, Oh, well, I'm not a therapist, but I don't know. Maybe you can like storm out. So obviously this, this conversation is not going super well. She's trying to get them to sing about it, but that's not really a suggestion that they're taking very well. So. So, Aman, we, we really have some trouble in paradise here. 
I mean, the fact, the fact, I mean, Finn kind of hit the nail on the head here. It's like, you're not even that upset about the fact that I lied, which is what she really should be upset about. And I would be 100% on, on team Rachel here. But the fact that you're just, it's more about that it's Santana. And I feel like you're, it's like a hard battle to fight because I feel like there's nothing that Finn can say that's going to make you feel better in this instance. Like, he already apologized for the lying, but how he doesn't have to apologize for a sex life that he had when you guys weren't dating. Like, he doesn't have to apologize for that. Like, like also, it, it doesn't matter. Totally. Like, let's also say he says very far from the right things here, right? I mean, he, what does he say in, in that scene? Like, yes, she is super hot or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and Emma looks that, at him like, ooh, 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 not the right words. <laughs> <laughs> not the right thing to I mean, say. Finn, Finn and Rachel are just so unlikable in this entire scene. Like, I, you know, I think the show wants to position, especially in this episode, you know, Finn is like the good guy, but he just says these things that make him so unlikable that to me, it's just like, puts me back at point zero, like, who I'm rooting for in this argument. The only thing that makes me team Rachel is the comment she makes about her dad's having this massive fight over the wallpaper, which I think is hilarious, and just reminds me of (laughs) how much the show underutilizes the fact that they have Jeff Goldblum as Rachel's dad, one of Rachel's dads, um, who is just really good in everything he's in, but they really, really underutilize him, going back to the discussion about, you know, the lack of adult plot lines in the show. Right, but great, great throwaway line that she throws in there. I think. Yeah, we're just watching the uh, the spiral of Rachel Berry in this episode as the solo gets taken from her. She finds out that her boyfriend was cheating on her. Things are just not going uh, very well for her. Things are also not going very well for Brittany S. Pierce, who is not handling the pressure of this new role that she has very well. Artie finds her standing in the corner of some classroom. Um, she looks like she's just been standing there for hours because Artie mentions that they've been looking for her. Nobody can find her. Uh, she's like, I'm paralyzed with fear. I can't handle the pressure. Um, she's like, I know that I'm more talented than all of you but i'm still scared so Artie is going to come through with an idea that will hopefully help take the pressure off Artie's going to give britney his magic comb uh he's like you comb you comb your hair with it and you can't lose and at first he's like well i don't know if i can give it up then he's like no 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 uh well you're going to be the one that's leading us at sectionals and if you win then i win so I'll definitely give you my magic comb. And Brittany's eyes are lighting up. She's so excited about this magic comb. She thanks him and says that he is the best boyfriend ever. Uh, Charles, you haven't been able to get in here and give any, you know, Britney Spears, Britney Spears, or Britney, well, Britney Spears or Britney S. Pierce takes. But Britney is emerging as uh, the Britney that we know and love here as season two gets started. So uh, how excited are we that she's actually here? It's great, and I think the effect of Britney wears off a little bit over time. But early, early days is just it's it's such an interesting character that they decide to go with here, and I think feels really natural to how Heather Morris is, and it's just I I, I love it. Uh, at least for the first few seasons, um, and this is where the show I think really hits its stride. When you have you know early Blaine, he's still extremely likable, and you have Santana emerging, and you have Britney emerging, and you have all these different characters kind of playing with each other, playing into each other. Um, this is where Glee is really at its peak, uh, both musically, definitely musically, but also from a character standpoint as well. And I, I don't know, I'm probably alone on the island here, but I was always a huge fan of Artie and Brittany as a relationship in general. Obviously, like, you know, the aftermath and how Artie handles it is is a little bit not great uh, or a lot not great. But I think, you know, as the relationship, it's probably my favorite um, relationship for, for Brittany and for Artie. Uh, they, they do have, they do, they, they do seem to work in a, in a very bizarre way. 
I just love the fact that Brittany honestly believes that she is more talented than everybody else. And there's nothing that can, <laughs> there's nothing that can like stunt that confidence for her. I mean, she said it, she says it multiple times over the series and she's dead serious each time she says it. And the fact that she feels that way and she's not as annoying as Rachel is like a true talent for me. So I, you know, I, 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 I stand Brittany as well. I think that she's just <laughs> such a refreshing character. And the fact that she was so totally invested in the magic comb of it all and already knew exactly what to say to her to make her uh, feel better in the situation gave me so much hope for this relationship because as I'm beginning to watch the series again, I'm starting to realize that a lot of people are correct and that Artie is not really... <laughs> he can be really sucky a lot of the time. Yeah. But it seems that he honestly cares for Brittany and uh, he just wanted her to feel better in the situation and wanted to give her the confidence that she needed to... to, to perform well as sectional so i thought that this scene was adorable and 10 out of 10 for me yeah i mean she's not wrong maybe he is the best boyfriend ever magic comb i i can't get anybody a magic comb uh so that's that's Artie and Brittany. um let's go over this ep- this episode is really about um taking the underutilized glee club members the people who have not really been out in front the people that are not rachel and finn essentially and giving them something to do that is you know a significant role in this uh you know end of season episode um not that it's the exact end we still have one more before they actually close out for this part of the season but whatever so speaking of uh you know we're gonna have puck here will comes to puck saying you know usually i would go to finn and rachel for this but i'm instead going to go to you about this uh and he uses the excuse saying that puck is the most well-known kid in the school he's got everybody you know he's got connections all over the place um i guess puck would be will's winner pick in a season of like uh mckinley high big brother but glee needs uh glee needs a new ambassador right now they need somebody to go around and try to recruit a new member because kurt is gone so puck is going to get that job and he ends up in the locker room giving a speech to the guys you know we've tried this with the football team before i don't know why we're going to this specific group again Karofsky and Azimio obviously do not take this very well. Puck is like get, screaming at Karofsky. He's like, this is your fault in the first place, so shut up and let me do my speech. And this ends with a Azimio and Karofsky led making an example out of Puck again, Amon. Yeah, I don't know why his first instinct was to go <laughs> to the locker room of all places in McKinley High. You went to the football team after they have given you multiple reasons to not go to the football team. Did we forget the slushies? Did we forget getting pushed into the locker? Did we forget that one of the guys actually was the cause of Kurt leaving the school? Did we forget all of that? I think we forgot, yeah. I mean, there's there's two things here, right? I mean, the fact that Will thinks that Puck is the is going to make the best decision here to recruit somebody to the team is is the first mistake, and the second mistake is, I mean, I understand going to the football team is those are your friends, but do it in private to the people that you have some kind of relationship with and pitch them. Do not pitch them in public in front of the people that you know are openly hating on the Glee Club because of their own insecurities. I mean, if I hadn't been primed and ready for Lauren Zeises to make her appearance oh my God. in this episode, I totally would have been like, fuck, don't go to Puck because Puck is definitely going to try and recruit B- Jacob Ben Israel and like bully him into being a part of the team. <laughs> so I was like, when he, when, when freaking uh, Will gave him this assignment, I was like, no, 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 no. And then as soon as he goes to the locker room, I'm like, you dumb bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Did you like get amnesia in juvenile in juvie? Like I don't. I, it's okay. Okay. Yeah. So this ends up obviously not going super well. Uh, we go back to the choir room, and all of the kids are in there talking about how they haven't seen Puck. Uh, it seems like they're they haven't seen him in days. And re- re- in reality, it's only been about twenty four hours. Um, and they're all just talking so negatively about like everything that's that's happening. And, uh, like the entire episode is just all of them falling apart, not, not being on the same page, nothing's going well, which is funny because like Will's trying to get these underutilized voices to the top and they're all kind of crashing and burning along the way. Um, one of my favorite all-time Glee scenes comes up next here as Rachel Berry walks in to the choir room with tape over her face. <laughs> she is just making it very clear that she is got something to say and she's not going to say it. Uh, so she walks in and she sits down and Will's like, what the hell are you doing? She's like, I'm not doing anything. You've silenced my talents. I'm merely protesting. She puts the tape back on her face and then, nope, no, no, she's not done yet. She takes it off. My talents are wasted in this club. My star shines too bright. And I think you're threatened by it. And Will loses his shit. He drops a book so hard down on the piano, makes it a loud noise. Everyone's staring at him. He's screaming at her. Rachel, take that off. I'm tired of this. You have a terrible attitude. You're a lousy sport and it's not okay anymore. And Rachel's like, well, I'm upset. I'm furious about this, about a couple of things, actually, glaring over at Finn. So uh, this is an all-time Rachel Berry scene. It's just, you know, you're used to Rachel, but like this is just very funny. Amon, this is, uh, I love it so much. YouTube compilation, but this time it's every time Mr. Shoe blows his top. Because <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I immediately thought about the time when he threw uh, Sue's uh, uh, trophy. And Sue's not in this episode, I just realized that. But yeah, like he completely loses it. And it's freaking warranted because Rachel, I mean, you are cl- like you. You don't get every, you can't get every solo. And the fact that you are expecting everybody else to just sit there and be okay with the fact that they're never going to get anything because you get it all is just so selfish. Like, it's just, and she, she's ridiculous. And, like, I understand, like, I think, because I think that Finn made a salient point when he said, you don't take out your star quarterback before the game. So, sure, we know that t- Rachel is very, very talented. She obviously, obviously has much more ambition and much more drive than most of the kids in the club. But at the end of the day, y'all are going up against old people and you're going up against an acapella prep school. Like, and the Wobblers are good, but y'all just, you guys are a well, you guys are the most well rounded group here. Like, you already had the like up in competition, and Rachel not singing one damn song, one slow ass fucking ballad is going to be okay. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm scared to say this on <laughs> that's going to be released to the public because I don't know if I can ever take it back, but. I think Will is actually pretty likable in the beginning of this episode. Um, and then he kind of throws it away here by losing his temper in a, in a setting that really should not be that big of a deal to a teaching professional. Well, that's how uh, Will works. And it's any time that you think you, uh, you know, that you think he's doing something good for five minutes, uh, by the end of the episode, he's made sure that he goes yep. back to being, you know. I think the beginning of the episode, the way he listens to Emma, the way he handles Emma telling him that she can't come, uh, the way he handles the Glee Club in the beginning and, t- you know, tells Rachel off in the beginning is actually really good. And then he just, and then there's, mo- we'll get to, you know, there's a few things at the end that are just really bad, but. He just throw. He can't make it through even the half an episode without doing something. Yeah. Um, but that's how that's how annoying Rachel's being here. Which and I, I get it. I mean, she's being really Rachel. obnoxious. Yeah. It's quintessential Rachel, right? And you almost like relate to what, like in that moment, you're boiling on the inside, right? And I'm just like, oh my god, this is so insufferable. Um, but for some reason, I'm still rooting for her over Will in this situation. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, they're they're gonna have to take a break of their of their argument here because Puck walks into the room and he's got a new friend with him. Uh, we are finally getting the introduction of Miss Lauren Zeisis, which he says her name Zeisis. Uh, not that there's a huge difference there, but I feel like maybe I've been saying her name wrong all this time. Uh, but Lauren is here, and we are like introducing her as if she is a brand new character to the universe she has obviously been around even since last season but like she's got like a full look here um and she's got like this new attitude that's like not different from how she's been but it just feels more cemented of like who this person is that is now entering the glee club turns out that she rescued puck from the porta potty he was trapped in for about 24 hours um and lauren come came by to the porta potty opened it up he looked at her thought she was an angel and and uh, she, on the way back, you know, after after all of that, um, he tried to recruit her and she said, I'll be there if you get me all of these things. He, she wanted a carton of eggs, uh, which are like specifically rare at this time of year. So. <laughs> Uh, and she, oh, but no, but she also wanted uh, one more thing besides the eggs. She wanted seven minutes in heaven with Puck, uh, and Puck gave in and said, "You got it." And he says to them, "You know what? She kind of rocked my world." Which I'm sure Lauren's eyes he's did. She did. <laughs> she did that. I mean, she did. She's um, just so good in this episode. I mean, you just get every you get everything you wanted from a new character. Uh, you know, it's 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 the one. It's a person with an attitude, but in a very refreshing way. Um, and I, I'll say it: I'm a stan of of the relationship of Lauren and Puck. I think they should have had a lot more legs. I, I know there, you know, there might have been some behind the scenes things as to why that didn't continue. But uh, you know, I, I think that. That could have been a multi-season arc, in my opinion, uh, as someone who's actually right for Puck more than maybe Quinn even is. Do you know uh, behind the scenes things why this first. didn't continue? I, I think they just didn't want to give her a full-time non-guest role on the show. Well, they fucked I think up that with was, that. That's wrong. The, yeah, that was the biggest factor of what I've heard. I mean, it's just back chatter. Um, and to really dive in deep on the relationship, she kind of needed what would, would need to be a full-time cast member, and they wanted to introduce... Uh, some of the members of the Glee Project as full podcast members. Mm. Uh, they ran out of spots in the Glee Club at that point. Here's my one takeaway before Amon, if you get, uh, have any takes about Lauren joining here. Um, Will is going to welcome her in and say, all right, awesome. Welcome Lauren's Isis. And then he goes over and shakes Puck's hand minutes after Puck was just telling us about how he and Lauren just did it. We don't know when this <laughs> happened. We don't know where this happened, but like, it sounds like it could have just happened. And Will comes over and he's shaking Puck's hand. I'm like, I mean, That's like, not- I feel like she just climbed into the porta potty and they just did right there. Right. I'm like, maybe it's say, the coronavirus world that we're living the, in, but I was like, in don't- the porta potty or just out of the porta potty or in the closet. Well, it's one of those three situations just happened. Will, Will's going right over for the head. Yeah. Really don't like that. Really, really didn't need to see that. Uh, it, like I said, it could be the coronavirus, uh, you know, world that we're living in now that's taking over. But I'm like, uh, handshake, no, let's not do it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know anything else. We're we're happy, Iman, that uh, that Lauren is finally here, right? I mean, of course, I cannot wait to talk more and more about her for the rest of the season. Uh, I just think that she's a fresh presence because I mean, there's a certain level of reverence that her character is known for, which is good for offsetting the very, very cheesy nature of the show. So it's nice to have a character that's sort of like, okay, bitch, like I don't need, I'm Glee club is not the end all be all for me. And it's a cute storyline that all these lovely children come together and learn about being a family and being a team and all that shit is lovely, but she's just not here for that. She doesn't need it. She's walked to to the uh, rhythm of her own drum. And I think that it's, it's awesome to, to have her matched up uh, with somebody who thinks that he does the same thing, but really doesn't. So, 
Yeah. I love Lauren's icy. Love Lauren. Kind of she's kind of a mouthpiece for the fans at certain times too, right? I mean, we'll talk about later in this episode, but she delivers one of my favorite lines, mm-hmm. maybe of the whole show later on. But also just in general, right? There's so many times when, as a viewer, you're like, okay, like I love this show because the performances are great, but sometimes the drama gets so much to the point that you're just like, I either have to laugh at this or I don't give a shit. So I think she really when she says stuff like she does it really you're kind of like oh yes that's exactly what i'm thinking in that exact moment yeah mm-hmm. um we're gonna go over to the hallway we get a couple of different check-ins here first is with santana and rachel santana just comes up really quick and says you know kind of whispering and mocking rachel uh whispering to her saying did i tell you that he also bought me dinner after so <laughs> rachel's pretty shook up uh Puck yeah is like a th- fucking burger not like some <laughs> damn lobster breadsticks come on yeah, Puck comes up to try to, you know, see if Rachel's okay, see what's going on. He's, like, uh, trying to see what's wrong, and he says that he's an expert in boyfriend troubles because he's usually the trouble part of that equation, um, and they're going to go off together. Rachel grabs his arm as they start walking off. Uh, she notices that his arm seems a little bigger, and he says, oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's the steroids. So, okay, um, that that's, that's cool. Um, and then the other check-in here we're going to get is with Tina and Artie, and uh, this is pretty significant because Tina has a whole different look, and uh, apparently Mike Cheng likes cheerleaders, so <laughs> Tina dressed up like a cheerleader because she believes that Mike is having an affair with Brittany, who is currently dating Artie. So Tina and Artie, who once were together, they both branched off, and they're both dating one of the dancers, and now Tina thinks the dancers are doing it, and uh, they are concerned here. <laughs> Dirty so. dancing. I mean, a uh, point taken about Puck being nasty and have being being in the porta potty. Now he has Rachel like uh, clinging all over that nasty ass hoodie. But <laughs> you were dating. Uh, you went to Asian getaway camp with Mike, right? You dated him for the entire summer and for like the majority of the fall term. And now all of a sudden, you feel like he's attracted to cheerleaders. Now, <laughs> yeah, it's like all of a sudden, uh, you know, they clearly did this just for. For the interaction between uh, Kevin McHale and, and Jen Ashkowitz, and it's it's really good. And I and I you know you can see the chemistry that they have in real life here. Mm-hmm. I think the line it's just, it's such a stupid line that he says about her being a zombie corpse, but it's it's so funny because it's them and and it's how he delivers it. I think is just hilarious. Uh, he he it's like so he's, absurd uh... that she's making this decision as you said now, and you can tell his reaction is exactly that. I can get I get reminded again though that like Artie must not be that great of a boyfriend and I guess Brittany's the perfect girlfriend to have because obviously she doesn't care that because Tina asked him like do you notice that they're ignoring the both of us lately and he's like no I've been it's like it's what do you say it's, it's Shark Week so I guess when it's Shark Week he just does not talk to his girlfriend and I guess like Brittany's just like probably just thinks that Artie disappeared and is like being playing like peekaboo with her like it's just like. It's like, it's so, like, Artie sucks. Like, I don't understand. Like, she's literally changing her look and becoming, like, this biker cheerleader chick for Mike. And he's over here, like, unbothered. Like, I don't give a damn. And rightfully so, because Brittany, you know, we'll find out eventually why. But, like, like, it's just, I don't know. Like, he's just, he's so strange to me. He really is. 
the the two of them have been uh you know in a very strange place for a while now so the reason that they're going to come back together here because both of their significant others are possibly cheating it's very strange um especially considering that's not the case and this is just all made up it's like they just needed something for tina to do for a couple minutes so whatever sounds good uh we're gonna go over to the auditorium kurt is you know been gone for 24 hours and he's already back at mckinley here he's asking rachel for some help because he's going to be auditioning for a solo with the warblers and uh rachel thinks that he's only coming back to spy uh which is really not the case he actually wants rachel's help or just to i don't know spend some time with her i, I i'm not sure um and rachel is uh, you know, a little hesitant to help him out because you know their competition now and kurt's like well listen even though we hate each other we've had our moments um and i could use your expertise no one knows how to kill a ballad quite like you um he's, he's like you're as brilliant and talented as you are irritating so rachel is going to take him up on this offer and say that this might be her only chance to sing for a while. So you know what? Sounds good. I will give you a couple of tips and we are going to go into don't cry for me, Argentina. First of all, I think that my first like, thing I honestly forgot about this, really this whole season, even on doing to rewatch the last year, is like how underdeveloped the Kurt and Rachel friendship is. There's just nothing. And I, I always, obviously later seasons, you know, we get so much of it. And so it always in my mind that I have like they're, they're tight from the beginning, but you just remember from this episode that like it's Rachel's thrown off that Kurt's coming to her at all for anything. Uh, and then when they have the scene again at, at sectionals, it's just so awkward. Um, like it's the first time they've ever had a real conversation. And, and from my recollection, like it doesn't ever really develop until they're just like, okay, we're the best friends in the world out of nowhere. Um, so that was my biggest takeaway from the scene. You know, the song itself, I think is, fantastic uh and one of the most underrated songs on glee um you know rachel we know can kill a, a broadway show tune especially one like this and i think what she actually says about her imagining her own funeral obviously is extremely exaggerated and how she says it would you know finn diving into his her grave and everything like that but <laughs> i also thought that the point of what she's saying is one of the more relatable things that she, she has ever said or says you know who hasn't imagined their own funeral and they thought about like what the impact that they um, you know, not to get too deep, but what the impact that they had on the world is and, you know, how people would react. So I think that that and the song, I think, really speaks to that um, in, in a really significant way. Um, so I think that it's a great choice of song. And I think they both nail it. And, and you expect Rachel to. Um, I've been really hard on Kurt, but I think Kurt absolutely crushes this. Um, I think it's one of his two or three best songs he does on the entire show. It's a, it's not the highest bar, oh, thing, wow. but I have it's a strong take. But I think it's one of the I think it's up there with Blackbird. It's one of his best songs that he does on the entire show. Um, I mean, I just feel like Ryan Murphy was so enamored by Mr. Chris Colfer and him being a countertenor and having such a lovely little lilt to his voice. But he lacks the vocal bombacity that it takes to sing this song um, in the des- in the desired in my desired way. I just feel like it. You just need more power behind the voice, and because he cannot belt in that range, it just doesn't work for me the way that it works for Leah Michelle. He still sounds wonderful. It's just like I. Interesting that you think that it's one of his stronger performances. I don't think it's a weak performance at all. I just wouldn't say that it's a good song for him he's also like but what i always remember the most about this um this performance is the cringy part where he's about to like raise his arms dramatically and blaine is like no bitch put that shit down like i always get so self-conscious when watching that because 
I was like sort of like the same way during uh, like auditions for High School Musical and everything. I would be so into it to the point where like the director was telling me to like stop singing, and I, but my eyes were closed because I was <laughs> so into the song. Like they, they like literally the director and the other students that were waiting to audition had to be like, "I'm on." <laughs> So like I totally like I totally understand just you know being so overwhelmed with emotion that you did you're just he's just he's just extra Kurt is just Kurt and Rachel are just extra so I think that Rachel gave him a good song to sing for this particular situation but yeah I definitely not one of my favorite Kurt performances I'm just like yeah whatever I I completely I completely agree with what you're saying about him lacking the like vibrato to sing the song but I think that is true of almost every song he sings right. So, and yeah. especially especially his duets with Blaine, I think he just gets so over overpowered in terms of like the texture of their voices from with Dan and Chris, um, you know, who I can go on and on about why I think he's an amazing performer. But, so I just think that this performance obviously is not technically the best, but I think the way he leads into it and the way it sounds is, is pretty beautiful. I think it, it fits his what he is good at better than almost any song he sings because because i think he tries to sing songs that don't fit that he can't really hit and like like you said about this song i think it's true of almost every one of his songs Aman, you brought back just a whole memory just now for me of uh, auditions with uh, with the high school shows. Like I was on the other side of it. You know, you were the one up there auditioning. I was the one sitting in the audience because I was like, uh, you know, I've talked about this. I was the stage manager. And then like those last two years in my junior and senior year, I was like involved with helping cast the show with my director. So we would sit back there and take notes during every single person's audition. And like, it just felt so powerful to sit there and like critique everybody with like, this person was good. This person <laughs> went too long this person was scared this person didn't know when to stop kind of thing and i'm like picturing my notepad uh during all that i would have loved to to be critiquing yours at the same time <laughs> i think we got to oh, yeah. next time we're all in person together yeah <laughs> oh yeah i would have i would have given you a show honey would have had a, a whole page full of them on notes um, so yeah, Blaine is going to come in on, uh, Kurt and, uh, Kurt, Nick and Jeff. I'll just give you their names. These two random boys who were also auditioning for a solo. Um, and Kurt seems pretty confident. Like he thought he, he might've gotten it. He's talking to the other guys. Like, have you guys ever done this before? He's trying to, you know, keep positive spirits in the room. Uh, but Blaine's going to come in and tell Nick and Jeff that they're moving on and Kurt, the only one in the room that is not moving on. So Blaine says, you know, don't try so hard next time. Like, I don't know how it worked at your role school but uh did you notice that we're you know we all wear uniforms around here it's we're all a team we all are you know on the same we're on the same team here and kurt's like well i guess i'm just used to you know i have to scream to get noticed so that's kind of how i operate and lane's like all right well you're not going to make it as a warbler if all you care about is getting noticed so try to fit Which in with the no group sense. and Blaine's the only one who sings every song it's not a team at all it's just backup dancers and singers the blame yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, and also one more note on this. The guy who plays Nick is actually uh, this guy named Kurt Mega, who uh, is actually a part of Team Star Kid with Darren Chris later on. Fun fact. Um, he actually a couple of oh, shit in the Warblers, too. Um, and then Kurt, jo- Kurt Mega, uh, the much better Kurt, uh, joined Steve Car- <laughs> Team Star Kid much later on in its run uh, as a, you know, a former friend of, of Darren's. Uh, so I think, you know, fun- you can watch. A lot of his performances, uh, he's in the most recent musical, Black Friday, which is really good uh, on YouTube. So just recommend that as a, as a side throwaway uh, plug. Oh, the more you know. 
Um, so we're going to also, uh, well, let's go back to McKinley. Um, Blaine and Kurt are, you know, having their moment here as everybody's getting ready for sectionals. But, uh, over at McKinley, we get a quick check-in with Artie and Brittany. Artie is trying to make plans with her because Artie has this new information that she might be cheating. He's trying to make plans, but she's blowing them off and saying that, no, she can't, he, you know, she has to go rehearse. So Artie is pretty skeptical. Uh, we're not going to get a resolution just yet. We'll, we will get to that as we are getting ready to go to sectionals. The kids are all getting on the bus um it's literally raining leaves i don't know why they decided that it had to be the falliest fall day on earth but like it literally looked like it was raining leaves um will is talking I to emma loved it. you thought that was i cute? love the i love the way that they shot this scene i thought it was so like dramatic i loved it that it the camera like, like panned down the line of the children and then emma appears between the two school buses in that fucking i love that coat that she was wearing i just thought it, i just loved the way that they shot it i thought it was so just per, like just classically to me it felt like a movie it felt like a movie scene of like just like just this over dramatic like i don't even know how to describe it other than like exactly what i just said about how it, it felt like it was in a movie not a tv show uh, for like that very quick like two seconds of the scene so i mean i get why you liked it um, but yeah, Will and Emma are going to catch up here. Will is talking about how the kids are so out of sync and he's never seen them like this before, but you know what? They're going to go do it. They got to, they got to do it. And Emma says that she can't actually come with them, uh, which is a surprise to Will. She says that she didn't tell Carl, uh, her, you know, her boyfriend, uh, Dr. Carl, she didn't tell him that she was going and doing this. And Carl's been pretty weird ever since the whole Rocky horror situation last night, they had a big fight, but then they made out and then they exchanged. I loved you. So they seem to be on the, on a good page here. And Emma's not going to mess with that by going to sectionals with the guy that she used to have feelings for. Um, and Will's like, all right, I get it. We're going to miss our good luck charm, but Sounds good. Uh, Emma is not going to be joining, but Will is off with the kids to sectionals. If only he knew what was about to happen to Emma Pillsbury that we will get to a little bit later on. Crazy stuff there. So we we go over to sectionals. Rachel is demanding somebody get Lauren's icy some raisinets because she is not going on until she gets her candy. Um, And Rachel... (laughs) <laughs> Rachel and Kurt are going to catch up here as they are op- uh, opponents tonight, but they are talking a little bit about how Kurt didn't get the solo and Rachel is worried because that means that the Warblers must be really good. But she's like, no, 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 no. But I'm also sad for you that you didn't get that. That's I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, and I'm, uh, or no, Char- uh, Charles, you were talking about the Rachel and Kurt development. We are we're still getting some more of it. We're still kind of slowly learning about this too, uh, about these two as friends. Yeah, this scene is just really awkward uh, to me. I mean, I, I understand that they're they're you know not really close yet, but they, it's not like they were, didn't spend two years you know d- together every day. Um, so it just seems like the conversation could flow a lot more naturally, where the, you know they'd be generally having a real conversation. Um, it feels it feels forced, um, but I think the point of the scene is to just develop that you know Rachel is starting to think about Kurt interests uh as somewhat of a priority in her life over just what's going on with her and and that you know as, as that develops over time i think it's important for you know that reason um but just another reason way they're making rachel seem so unlikable that her first reaction is just how does this affect me uh when they just spent all this time practicing and 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 working on the solo for kurt to try to fit in with this really tough new situation I liked this scene. I thought that it was, I, I feel a little differently. I felt like it, I mean, yeah, it was a bit of an awkward conversation um, because it should be because of the fact they don't really speak a lot of the time. And now all of a sudden they've spoken to each other like twice in a week when they don't really speak at all. 
Um, but I thought that it was, uh, I thought that it happened like rather organically because of the fact that Rachel's able to let her guard down. I mean, she's already been kicked to the curb by her glee club or so that's what she thinks. That's how she feels. So she's just seeking, uh, you know, a, a bit of connection with somebody else. And it's easy to, to talk to Kurt because she feels like he's not someone that's directly against her. Um, so, I mean, I, I liked the conversation. Uh, it was nice to see that Kurt was like Kurt is like he, he mentions to Rachel oh yeah I really feel like being a part of the world versus really made me question a lot of the things about myself and I like shit like that because it really makes strong character development where you have to reevaluate all that kind of all that stuff um and yeah I mean her screaming about some damn raisinettes for Lord Zeises I'm like wasn't that Puck's job like why the fuck is Rachel at the bar demanding raisinettes when Puck was the one that had that list of demands from <laughs> Lauren's icy like he should have been on that but okay yeah and this of course ends with a little bit of uh catch up about Rachel and Finn because Kurt is asking how Finn is I guess I mean th- their parents just got married but uh, somehow they're not like together they're not living together just yet they're not all I mean they were living together I have no idea what the hell's going <laughs> on at a, home it's a continuity error it's, it's it's very confusing um and Rachel is telling Kurt about what she just found out about how Finn cheated uh, with Santana or not cheated, but Finn did it with Santana and Kurt's like, yeah, yeah, uh, you just found out about that. So <laughs> there, there goes that bomb that Kurt knew about this the whole time and did not tell Rachel. Yeah, that whole Glee Club, was, it was like an episode of Untucked. Like in that <laughs> uh, green yes. room. That's funny. Uh, we're going to go into it's time for competition. Let's let's get into these sectionals. We are we are here and we're going to get to our first performance by the hipsters. It is this group of lovely old people and they are singing the living years. And OK, what is this shit? OK, this I thought, no, they said that this was a national high school show choir competition. I, like, this is like, why I love you hear what this I said? episode. National high school, high school, meaning people that are in ninth, tenth, eleventh, or twelfth grade, not their ninth decade of life. Okay. So the fact oh, that there are this many senior citizens up there with walkers almost falling off of the risers. Wow. <laughs> I think I saw an oxygen machine up there. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just need to understand why. I know that one of the teams has to be a giveaway, right? Well, you need that one team to be like, oh, they got that. They got that shit in the back. The New Directions don't have to worry about that. But to make them old people, since when was this competition open to old people? Since when did you just show choir competition? And that begs the question of why there aren't more of them. Why there aren't more people? Why, why aren't there talkers up there? Let's get some toddlers and Tierra bitches up there. Where like the where are the collegiate choirs? I mean, this is Glee, <laughs> this is Glee in a nutshell, right? I mean, you have some great moments in this episode, and then you just have something like this that is just so unexplainable that the only explanation is that they're on purpose trying to do some the most absurd thing imaginable. <laughs> and that's how I kind of always have to picture these situations. I, I just, you're 100% right. There's no explanation. And they're, I wish they could have done more because they're just so forgettable, despite the fact that they should be 
this should be such an iconic scene because they have ninety-year-old geriatrics in you know, high school legal competition. Yeah, I, I got no explanation either. This is just very maybe typically... they were all their GEDs or something. Yeah, that that has to be it. I mean, it, like right. you said, it's a high school show choir competition. But uh, enough enough of the hipsters uh, because we do have some pretty iconic numbers coming up here, and we need to talk about them. We are going to go into a performance by the Warblers of "Hey Soul Sister," and it's just like. Every single number that the Warblers do this season, pretty much all of them are just so iconic in the show's history. Hey Soul Sister was so good and so big at the time. I feel like it was just, you know, anytime that the Warblers were out there, it was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. like these guys could have their own show. Um, with obviously, like Charles has mentioned, Blaine up in the front. Um, and this is, you know, the first time that the New Directions are seeing Blaine or, or have any idea who he is. They're hearing him sing for the first time and, you know, of course, we know uh, Blaine's history with the Glee Club as it will play out in the future. But for now, you know, he's just out here, uh, you know, killing it with the Warblers. Um, and he's just, you know, this little theater boy bopping around the stage with these big animated facial expressions and all this stuff. And Rachel's watching. She's happy that Kurt's doing his thing up there. But I'm on. Hey, Soul Sister is uh, the Warblers are, are killing it with their with their performance here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's Blaine Anderson, man. Like he he, he kills it every single time. I liked uh, this performance. I think that it was uh, a nice debut for the Warblers, so we could know what we were going to be working with for the rest of the season. Um, I really feel like they should have done what was the what was the song that they did when we was it Teenage Dream? That is that the first song we saw them do? Yes, yes. They should have totally did that for this sectionals and then left. We should have been introduced with this song for Kurt, and then they should have done Teenage Dream for this performance. That's just I don't, my I, I don't agree. I think the I introduction think of being that, Teenage yeah. Dream was just too yeah. good. Yeah. They knew that shock factor. Like, we didn't know who the Warblers were, and then you, you go right into that. I think if they did this. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. For the show, definitely. For like as a like as a viewer of the show Glee, but as like a logist a logician <laughs> if if I were the captain of the Warblers, I'd be like, no, nah, bitch. They don't have a captain. Don't, it's just they don't have a captain, it's just Blaine's decision. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know right. You're right. You're right. It's also possible that they did do it. We just didn't see it because, you know, yeah. all the glee club all the other glee clubs don't get three performances like the new directions did. So <laughs> Yeah. It's Char- three performances that we see. I completely agree with what Amon said in terms of like, I think that that's true of so many different situations where there's like the, the new directions or the warblers play absolute bops like right before performances. And then they get up there and play like n- mediocre songs or, or less good songs on the actual performance. So I, whoever's picking or arranging these are, is just not good. Whether it's or will or playing or whoever it is um, in terms of the Hazel sister itself, like, you know, I think Darren, Darren, Chris, or Blaine can sing any pop song and make it into an absolute bop, right? And I, so I think the bar for me is extremely high as a, as a massive Darren, Chris fan. I think this one is like kind of right in the middle for me. Um, there's definitely better, uh, but like I said, it's definitely one of the songs I listen to most. And like, you know, every it's one of those I'd never skip when it comes up in my shuffle of my Glee songs. Um, it's a great song in general. I love the train version and. I think this is one that they kind of do pretty similar to the original version, but it just sounds good because it's the Warblers and it's Darren Chris. Um, they do mm-hmm. a couple of songs, Teenage Dream being an example, where they rearrange the song in a more dramatic way that I think 
um, to me has a more profound impact. But uh, you know, you you never get tired of listening to a song like this. Yeah, it's just the kind of thing I think I think there's a lot of nostalgia behind it of just a lot of these songs that were so big when they first came out from from the Glee covers of it all. Um, and they, you know, like this one was definitely one of the, the big ones. All, pretty much most of the songs from this episode uh, are in that category. But for some reason, uh, I do have a pretty fond memory of uh, of this one. But as the Warblers are going on and killing their first number here, obviously they do pretty well. We're going to find out results later that they uh, the judges agree. Um, we see the New Directions backstage getting ready, and they are just as, as, as a mess as Will said that they were. Quinn is having PTSD because the last competition they went to, she went into labor, so she's freaking out as if she's got like another baby to pop out or something, which I don't know why she's so worried. Um, Brittany is over here feeling <laughs> stupid because Artie uh, found out about something. So they have like a little a little bit of a disagreement here. Artie's like, I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you would commit adultery. And Brittany's like, how did you know? Like, who told you? And Artie's basically taking this as an admission. So Artie is going off. He's he's pissed off. Um, and then this is the scene where we have <laughs> the rest of the Glee kids finding out uh, or revealing to Rachel that they all knew about Finn and Santana and Rachel's like everybody knew about this but me and Santana's like well yeah nobody tells you anything because you're a blabbermouth and we all just pretend to like you uh, which Puck stands up and he's like no actually I kind of like her uh, so it is a it, it's just chaos back here they are they're about to go so perform good. at sectionals so and it's just chaos everywhere it, it is an episode of untucked for sure. That's the best way to describe it. It is just a whole mess in the best glee way. Um, and Lauren's back here living her best life. She's like popping some popcorn. She's just loving this. She has no idea what the hell is happening, but she is just enjoying every second of it. Um, and <laughs> as this is all happening, Rachel's like, this is not national show choir's best friends competition. Rachel says that she's not going out there. Says- yeah, the way she says best green room ever uh, just gets me every single time. It's, it's just it's so well timed the way they the way they insert it into the episode. What the fuck was she dipping those pretzels in? She had <laughs> like know, this so brown substance. <laughs> like I don't know, maybe it was peanut butter. Peanut butter, I yeah. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, they're all they're they're not going out there. Rachel's arguing that she's not she's backing out of this performance, which uh, not like Rachel. Artie says he's not going out there either. And we get our second, third, fourth, fifth Will coming back and yelling at all the kids in this episode. I mean, again, uh, to kind of what Charles was saying earlier, like you do see that they're like he was trying. He's doing his best uh, earlier in this episode to kind of get the majority of the club some attention that they don't usually get because it's usually the Rachel show. And what are they? doing they're taking this opportunity to just implode and for some reason everything is just chaos right now so he's yelling at them he's like you guys should be ashamed of yourselves uh, i want you to go out there and for s- just six minutes remind yourselves um that you know that, that you are a team that you guys are not alone that you have each other that this is something good that we have something here and i don't know why you're all insisting on messing it up today but we can do this and you guys need to go do this. So um, he's trying to get the team together. It's it's not very easy because we're going to go back over to Brittany and Artie as they're, they're like all actually behind the stage now. Like they're they are on stage. The curtain's closed. You know, the, the performance is about to start. Brittany and Artie are talking about how because Artie accuses her of cheating. She's like, why would I cheat on you? Is this like a Mad Lib or something? He's like, no, you cheated on me with Mike. You just admitted it to me like five minutes ago. Brittany's like, no, I didn't. He's like, well, I just accused you of adultery. She's like, well, what does that have to do with me cheating he's like adultery means cheating she's like well oh i I thought it was just being (laughs) stupid uh like being adult 
uh, I didn't cheat on you. I did something much worse. So I she knows that magic damn game. like old British English, yes. but she doesn't know what adulter. Right. I think I, that's a great point. Right. Is I think what's so great about um, Brittany in the early Brittany when we first, you know, when we first dive into Brittany is that she she has all these. She doesn't function like a normal human being, right? But she's not just moronic. And I think they kind of change her character over time where she just is moronic. And that becomes a lot less enjoyable <laughs> as a character. But in the early days, like, she, you know, she has, you know, Emma, you know the entire MIT plotline aside, um, she has her days where she just has really interesting thoughts that you sometimes are like, oh, that, that's really bizarre, but kind of reasonable. And this is one of them, right? Like, it's hilarious that she knows what Dalt is and she she got, she got went there with that line, but I had no idea what adult they is and adultering is and, and how about the fact that Artie who's been dating this girl and knows how she like how she thinks didn't care to like explain further what he's accusing of her other than using this word that there's a very good chance that she had no idea what it What high schooler her. says adultery? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like in what world are also, you? Are don't you... you have to be married for it to be adultery? <laughs> I probably I don't know. Unless you're in the Scarlet Letter, like I, yeah. Like this is just I mean it's it's so ridiculous, but it's so like you just got to give Brittany a big complicated word so that she can be confused. I, I get it, whatever. Um, but she's freaking out because she lost his magic comb, and uh, she's she's so scared for him to find out, and she thought that he did find out. So now that she thinks that he's cheated, that she's cheating, now that. She thinks that he thinks that she was cheating. She's got to come clean about the magic home. She doesn't know what happened. She lost it. Um, and that's why she's been avoiding him because she was so ashamed that the magic home was their only chance of winning. And she totally screwed it up. So she didn't want to let him down. And Artie's like, that wasn't a magic home. I found it on the floor and I ran into you on the way uh, to tossing it in the garbage. So, so Brittany, <laughs> it's just, she's like, you let me comb my hair with it. In the world. Artie, best boyfriend in the world again. <laughs> like, I have an interesting edit note here because when, um, you know, when they kind of like literally kiss and make up here in the background, you see, I think it's Santana standing with two of the warblers. And I'm like, I wonder if that was a specific choice on like their part to have that in the background. Um, And if so, then why? Or if they literally were just all on set and they happened to be in the shot. <laughs> because why are the Warblers backstage now? They already performed. And why is Santana talking with two of them? It's so strange to I me. Didn't I didn't even notice. It's, it's, but that's funny because <laughs> Kurt thinks they're all gay. So it's not like Santana can really get with them if they're all gay. But they're not. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they were uh, setting up for, for season three, episode what, Charles? Which episode? The uh, MJ? Yeah. Yeah, I forget the number, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, everybody's getting ready. Like, like Aman just said, Brittany and Artie are going to kiss and make up. Uh, Lauren's doing some push-ups because she's a wrestler, and Puck's telling her not to be nervous. And this is—is is this the line you were talking about, Charles? Yeah, so good. Yes, Lauren says, uh, "I'm not nervous because show choir is stupid." <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I love, how, I love how. I love how Puck is just like floored by that. He doesn't even, like, <laughs> he just stands there like so destroyed. Like he's supposed to be the guy who's above it all and too cool for this, even though he likes yeah. it all. Like he's supposed to be that, that guy. And now she's coming in like, yeah, no, this is dumb. Uh, I don't know why I'm I mean, here. If there's ever an episode where that's more prevalent. It's, I mean, this entire episode is just like annoying bickering between all the people about Glee club related issues more, more than anything. Right. Less. Obviously there's some like, you know, real teenage drama woven in there, but 90% of it comes down to 
you know, who gets to sing more in the Glee Club. So the fact that she's saying that, it, I think to me, I know, was just like, that's exactly how I was feeling at that given point in time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's get into, let's get into these uh, performances by the New Directions. We are going to check in at the back of the auditorium where Finn and Rachel once stood as they began a performance last se- uh, season. And here we have Sam and Quinn staring into each other's eyes and they are, do they, they don't kiss here. Do they, what, anything significant? Mm-hmm. They just kind of connect for a second. Um, yeah, he just tells her that she's beautiful, and she places her hand lovingly on his cheek. Adorable. And, yeah. <laughs> and they're going to head out in the same way that Finn and Rachel did, and we are going into I've Had the Time of My Life, and it is led by Sam and Quinn, and then they eventually end up on the stage with the entire New Directions behind them doing some light choreo- choreography in the background. Um, thoughts on this number, Amon? Yeah, uh, it does hit a lot of the same beats that um, the other sectionals performance hits um, with the reveal of the club behind the curtain and they all join in and gradually build the energy of the number. And it was very refreshing to have uh, Sam and Quinn be the leads for this song because I do like Quinn's voice. She doesn't have like a particularly uh, a technical, a technically like crazy voice, but I still like the timbre of it, so I'm never going to be mad about a Quinn solo and her and Sam. Do they? Yeah, I mean they're just the Bar- Barbie and Ken. They just look good together, so it works. I'm so glad you said that, or you, I guess you—I I shouldn't say that. I'm pissed that you said that. You took a little bit of my fire away. What I was about to say. <laughs> I mean, I've said this with Ligori many times, and uh, you know, I think I, it's one of my most said takes. I think that Quinn has the most unique voice in the Glee Club. Um, just mm. the, like you said, the timbre, the sound of everything that Diana Agron sings to me is just fantastic. And I completely agree that she doesn't have the best range or the most technical voice. And there's certainly there are certain songs that don't really fit what she's doing, but she can just take an ordinary, pretty ordinary vocal and make it sound so interesting. And I think you hear mm-hmm. that here. What drags down the performance is really Sam. I mean, I don't mind Sam's voice. It's just very bland, I think. You know, he's a good singer. Sounds good. Just there's nothing that interesting to it. Um, so the parts that Quinn is singing to me are just so much better than the parts that Sam is singing. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm a little upset we didn't get more Quinn this episode, given that she's the lead of this song. Um, but I think her performance here is is just really fantastic on an overall, you know, pretty good, not fantastic number. Yeah, I I I guess I'm gonna come out as like the biggest fan of this number of the three of us if uh, I can just crown myself with that that distinction. Um, I love this one so much. I it's like just another one that it sticks with me because like I can picture just close my eyes and picture the the maroon outfits, uh, both Sam and Quinn in in those maroon uh, the the button up and the dress, and then they come down the aisle and everybody's all uh, you know it's it's just them and it's like the Ken and Barbie aspect of it is like very adorable uh, for these two who have been you know we've slowly been watching them get together over the season and it is not. And it's not like any of the other couples. Like it's been presented to us in a very cute way the entire time. There haven't been many like relationship issues along the way. They've been just consistently cute and seemingly healthy. Sam has been very nice to Quinn, and that's what Quinn needed after the entire crazy year that she had last year. So to see the two of them happy and having this solo uh, or duet together, I love this one. Um, And it's a great lead-in to the next number, which is, of course, going to be Charles, It Is Valerie. We are finally here. Before we kind of, you know, I think we're going to spend some time talking about it. So before we dive into that, 
I, I, quickly that you know I don't know when we're back again on the podcast. I don't. And uh, Quinn and uh, Quinn and Sam's another relationship that I I think that really could have lasted longer and think and is very believable and relatable. I think they're they're really good for each other. Um, as you said, Sam Sam is kind of you know Sam has many faults, but he treats Quinn well, and I think Quinn needs somebody like that. Um, so the fact that the show decided to swerve and you know have her and Puck end up together um, and have you know Sam have the relationships that he ends up having. A little bit frustrating for me. I would. I understand why they did it. Um, it's a pretty boring relationship. Um, but I. But I think that you know, in terms of just standing relationships as real life couples, I. I would have really liked these. You know, these two to stay together. Boring is good in terms of like, like you said, like real life relationships. Like if, uh, like if for what Quinn needs right now in her life, she needs the boring guy. Uh, she needs Sam. So I'm. I'm content with uh, the two of them together at the moment, or happy with it, uh, even. So yeah, I see what you mean, and I can't believe I just set you up for Valerie, and you you <laughs> completely went back the other direction. <laughs> Right, I'm ready to jump back in now. I mean, you know, I led off this episode with it. It's the reason I, it's the reason I, you know, watched Glee in the first place. Um, you know, I guess I st- I'll start off with the hot take. You, you know, I think Amy Winehouse is one of the best singers of the last 20 years. Uh, the Glee version may be even better. And that's hard for me to say. And I listen to both and they're both different and I listen to both a lot. Uh, but, you know, if you combine the full performance uh, of this song with the dancing and everything and and there's so many little moments here like like I said at the beginning of the episode Santana and Brittany I think have great chemistry here um, they, so many different little things like that I think it's it may be the single best performance on Glee if not just the best pure vocal performance I think the total performance um, with obviously Mike and Brittany's dancing is just so good um, the outfits the, the way that the whole episode sets up the fact that they're featuring these people for the first time, and you and I just remember the first time I saw watched this, knowing who Santana was, I was just like, "How have we not gotten so much more Santana at every moment in time? Um, it, she's just incredible." Uh, and, and you know, as we get more and more after this performance, I think the reaction that people had to it definitely led to Santana and Brittany being fleshed out as characters a lot more. For sure, Amon, what do you got? This, I mean, this number is just like crack cocaine, right? Like the, it's it's the perfect pop number for the group. It's a perfect blend of choreography, vocal, um, and just like high energy. Like it, it's like I me. Mean, it's like of course, like Britney and Mike are supposed to be like the 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 main part of this of this number. But when you have Santana singing lead, she's not. She does not get over overshadowed. Like every everything is just, just works with this number. She, I mean, Santana sounds amazing. I mean, like the choreography that Mike and Sant- or Mike and Brittany are are executing is just like top notch. Like they were doing like double pirouettes. Some it's of them like so in the air. Okay, and all these like flips and acrobatics that at first glance you're like, why are they doing all of that? But then when you see like the the rest of like the of the kids like also like doing like a lot of like high frenetic shit in the background it's like this all works like you just you like you you can't stop looking at something you know what i mean like it's just always like oh my god something look look at them look at them look at them look at her oh my god she sounds so good like everything just works it's like a, it's the perfect number because it's fast it's interesting it's modern you 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 get in you get out you smash it you leave it like it's just mm-hmm. so it's it's quick good. and it's that's why i think makes it so rewatchable and, and like you said there's and like i alluded to a little bit there's a there's little things that you notice people doing every single time that's different that adds to the number and they're all in sync it, they're all, 
they're all like everything goes with everything else that the people are doing and everything adds to the overall performance of, of the show uh, of the whole, of Lauren Dyfees for keeping up with that Corey. I mean, yeah. she just club <laughs> and she's up there doing the same shit. I'm like, yes, bitch, you better fucking twirl that skirt. Yes. Yeah. This, I mean, uh, Valerie is so, I, I think I would put Valerie at like a number three. I think we, I talked about how uh teenage dream comes in and it's probably the most significant song to the, to the show so far, aside from uh don't stop believing, like don't stop believing is, what it is followed by teenage dream. And I think I put Valerie right up there in that category just because it was the first solo of this show. And it was just such an unexpected breakthrough for a character that was so not, you know, the biggest character on the show at the time, but like, like uh, Charles said, like, uh, the two, uh, Brittany and Santana, are going to become so much more important after seeing the reaction to to the two of them here, where it was just, they are stars, and we need to let them shine. Why are we holding them back any further? The fact that Santana got the solo, and the fact that it was so well-received, it was so, so big. Bigger than any other number in this episode. I was talking about how the Warblers number was pretty was pretty big and pretty good. Um, Dog Days Are Over is coming up in a little bit, and, and obviously that one was good as well, but this is just... Valerie was everywhere. It was played so much, at least by myself and by everybody that I knew that watched the show. So it was just, it, it's, it, you can't understate how big of a number this was for the show. And fuck you, Rachel, for trying to rob us of that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like the critical right. reception sections of like the Wikipedia article is just filled with, you know, praise for uh, Naya Rivera and, and for the character and for this performance. And it's just, you know, tens across the board. I think that's what makes the yes. beginning on a rewatch with the with the beginning of the episode so much more frustrating is that you know what the result is going to be of this. When so when Emma suggested the idea, and I was just rewatching it for the first time in like you know a year, I was like, yes, I know what was coming. Yeah. As a result of Emma's suggestions, and when, and you know Rachel becomes even more annoying because of that. And this and this is obviously this number is uh, one of the many that they're going to end up doing on tour, which was just like like I, I remember watching the Glee tour. Uh, I think it's it, I don't know if it's still on Netflix. It was on somewhere that I watched it recently. And like Valerie has to have gotten the biggest pop out of like every number that they did, because, you know, they it's it's Brittany Santana and uh, Mike Chang and, you know, the dancing and the, the vocals. All of it is just such a big uh, crowd pleaser. And, you know, everybody goes wild for it. So um, not only in real life but also on the show we have kurt you know standing up applauding with everybody else will seems thrilled at this performance everything went off exactly as planned even though they were falling apart before the performance we are going to get the results delivered here from some rando uh no guest judges in this episode the hipsters are coming in third and we are going to get a tie between the warblers and the new directions for first place so both groups are moving ahead to regionals Finn and Rachel get a little celebration here, which is obviously pretty awkward because they were, uh, you know, there's drama going on here. So we have some success here. They didn't, uh, they tied for the win because later they're talking about how they won. I'm like, did you win? You're tied for the win. I guess, I guess you won. I don't know. Um, yeah, on that point, can we just say like, there's so many times where the new directions are by far not the best group performing at, 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 you know, a sectional or regional or a national um and they win anyway and for this to be the time that they don't win cleanly they tie um especially with the warblers have you know set, i understand what they did obviously to have you know da- uh, da- you know blaine and everyone perform at regionals but they're just so valerie's one of the most iconic performances on the show and they're so much better than the warblers are here um it's just a little bit frustrating for them just to throw the throw the tie in here 
when they just racism and the new directions the wins <laughs> on on times when the warblers are incredible or or you know vocal adrenaline or whoever it is yeah, uh, let's go over to Emma Pillsbury's office, and we have Will with the trophy, for some reason brought it by Emma's room, uh, to yes. show it off and to <laughs> show, look, I'm an award-winning, trophy-winning uh, choir director. Isn't that, you know, whatever. Uh, so she congratulates him, and she says that she's sorry she didn't call earlier to congratulate her uh, because she had a pretty incredible weekend. Amon, tell us all about Emma's weekend. She went to Vegas and got married. <laughs> yeah, just just that. She flew to Ohio, she flew to Vegas from Ohio in a matter of two days, and actually it was probably less than two days because sectionals were on the weekend, and she was definitely there to see them off on Saturday as she came through the buses. So she literally flew to Las Vegas on Saturday, <laughs> got married, and came back by Monday. Dr. This is my Pye. biggest issue with like the Emma Will. I mean, on top of the fact that Will is just awful in general, is that you know Emma makes these just absurd decisions in all of her relationships, whether it's the Ken, agreeing to marry Ken Tanaka when she openly hates him, or or this kind of thing. It's just like how can you then root, you know stand a couple that is you know one of the major couples of the show going forward when when you've seen this kind of behavior from from both of them. Bizarre. I mean. If John Stamos was trying to fly me out to Vegas, to <laughs> I don't think that I would be opposed either. So I guess I can't totally blame Emma in this situation. And he appears to be making her better. Because for someone to have such severe OCD, to be completely fine with getting on this nasty-ass plane... Well, they probably flew first class. He's a damn dentist, so he probably got something really nice for the both of them. But still, like for her to be such... And to have no qualms with flying to Vegas in a day to get married, that means that, she, you know, he's clearly having a positive impact on her. So, you know, I mean, do what you need to do, girl. Do what you need to do. Yeah, he certainly is helping her out. Um, so that's that's the successful couple of this episode. Uh, Emma and Carl, even though Carl's not even in this episode. The unsuccessful couple, of course, Finn and Rachel, are uh, are going to catch up here as... They just won sectionals, um, but they still aren't really vibing. Things uh, are still messy. So they come to each other, and I think it's Finn that's like, are, are we a part of something special, you and me? Rachel's like, I think so. And Finn's like, uh, okay, good, because I love you. Um, so we get we get a love drop there, um, and Finn's like, listen, no more lying ever. Rachel says that uh, last week... She probably should tell him something here because uh, <laughs> no more no lying. More lying <laughs> so I should probably tell you something. This isn't a lie. Um, let me just tell you the truth. Uh, I'll jump ahead of this one. So you know how you made me feel like shit last week and I really didn't like that and I was obviously throwing a fit about it. So I wanted to make you feel as bad as you made me feel. So and we get a cut over to uh, Rachel and Puck making out in Rachel's bed uh, and L Rachel looks like she wants to kind of do more. And Puck's like, no, 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 uh, I got to stop this. I, I've done this to Finn before. I can't do it again. So we cut back and Finn is super pissed off. Rachel's like, come on, it was just a mistake. Uh, d d you know what you did last year and you didn't tell me about? Doesn't that like cancel this out? Uh, it does It does not. I'm on. This is just Rachel has completely backed herself into a corner and this could have been avoided. But Re Rachel had to be Rachel. This is so strange to me because so you. Uh, <laughs> Okay. You <laughs> did exactly this. Right 
you did this because you wanted him to feel like shit. So you, what, what was the plan here? You were gonna, you were gonna, you were gonna fuck Puck, <laughs> fuck Puck. <laughs> uh, you were gonna do this with Puck, and then you were going to tell Finn about it. So you were never planning on lying about this to begin with, right? Because like, he would have had to have found out, or like I just, I'm confused because he was gonna find out anyway. So you, there was no way for you to win this. Because even if he was pissed off, even if you guys were pissed off, you guys weren't broken up with each other yet. So you were going to cheat on him with Puck to make him mad, which is probably going to cause him to break up with you, which is what he's doing right now. So how does that I Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. Um, I thought you would have the defense here of, of Rachel Berry. I feel like that's usually... I turn to you for that kind of thing. Charles, you got any defense of Rachel? I mean, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm honestly speechless, which is rare. Uh, there, there really isn't. Uh, again, I just find them to be just a very not standable couple. Like I, you know, and I get why they are a couple in the show. I think they, have, they do have great chemistry based on real life and everything like that. Uh, but just both of them are so unlikable so much of the time that it's just so hard for me to stay on them despite the fact that they might have the most real life chemistry of, you know of any couple on the show or they definitely do um and these are the situations where it's just like this whole episode both of them are just constantly doing the worst possible thing they can do in react reaction to every single thing that the other person is doing in the relationship um which ultimately just results in frustration and for the viewer more than anything yeah, um, she's screaming about how you said you'd never break up with me, and Finn's like, well, I never thought you'd make me feel like this. So, you know, she, she's trying to get them to go to couples therapy again with, uh, with, with Emma, and Finn's like, well, you would need to be a couple to do yeah, that. Yeah, so. that works Which is so never, well the Also, time. never was never therapy in the first place. She's not a therapist. It wasn't. <laughs> she's not a therapist. She's a school guidance counselor, and you're, you're looking at her to solve your entire life problems, uh, Rachel. That's not how this works. So we are, uh, you know, thought, thought things were heading in the right direction. They are not. Finn and Rachel are going to end this episode not together. So, uh, Also, screw Puck. You already did this once. Why would you do this again? Hey, he's like, I, like stop it. You literally just said that you were trying to start, like, you were trying to, you know, do, like, throw a turnover this new leaf, and then you restricted this new leaf only to the Jews. So I get that you were trying to help Rachel out, but, like, I don't understand. Like, you literally just did this last year. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that he stopped himself before he got any deeper than that, but still. Yeah, so, so commendable. Uh, honestly, Puck, what a guy. We go over to the Dalton Academy for a few minutes here as we're going to check in one more time with Kurt and Blaine. Kurt is worried about uh, Pavarotti Shallow again, and uh, Blaine is like, don't worry about the bird. It's fine. Uh, it seems perfectly okay. You, you're doing just fine watching over this bird. Um, and, you know, not much here. It's just uh, a check-in again because, you know, Kurt is still feeling a little bit down and out about the fact that he doesn't fit in with the Warblers as well as he would have hoped. And Blaine's like, keep going. You, you got this. You're good with the bird. You're good with us. Practice today at five. Uh, we're going to regionals. We're going to be great. You're going to be great. So Blaine's trying to keep. Oh, together. I just got that Pavarotti, you know, shedding and getting new feathers is a metaphor for Kurt doing the same. Oh, I was going to say, okay. this is the most heavy handed metaphor I've seen in a long time. <laughs> I totally scene. didn't even think about it. Well, now I'm going to take back my statement, <laughs> but it was... 
I found this whole the whole thing is just like, hey guys, metaphor here. Um, but and then also like Blaine is just it's so heavy. I, let me say, I forgot how heavy handed Blaine is in the beginning of like, oh my god, this guy is so dreamy. Everything he's saying yeah. is so perfect. The think, savior gay. Yeah, exactly. Once they once they get you know once they get a little bit more into the relationship, I think he becomes a lot more likable. Um, as a real life, as just like a person. Uh, but in the beginning, it's just like, it's so over the top. And just like every look that he gives him and vice versa is just like, the Kurt is just so obsessed with him and he just comes off as so perfect. Uh, anything else before we go back to, uh, no, probably not. Um, we go back to the choir room <laughs> over at McKinley. Tina and Mike are going to share an Asian kiss because we got to call everything Asian when the two of them are uh. together. Get an Asian kiss because Tina looks normal again. She's back in her, you know, her usual attire. And Mike is that's what he likes about her. He doesn't need the cheerleading outfit. So um, they share a kiss. Will brings the trophy back into the room and congratulates them on a job well done. They apologize to Will. They're like, oh, we heard about what happened with Emma. She's married now. That sucks. Uh, he's like, yeah, that's uh, let's not talk about it. Let's just uh, focus on the on the positive here. Let's celebrate the best way we know how. Rachel, how about a solo? <laughs> Doesn't he lead off by saying something like, "Oh, I've had a really bad day" or something when he first comes into the room? Like he's trying to get them to talk about Eva. That he's like, no, 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 I don't want to talk about that. Does it's he, so uh, appropriate for him to like bring that into this into the classroom space in in any way. He he has nothing but these kids. These are uh, these are all he has. So you know, I'm sure he wanted to push uh, for them to to you know feel bad for him or to talk about it and be like, no, it's okay. You're you're going to be great. I don't know. Uh, these are just the things with Will. It's yeah, but, I, but and also the fact that he immediately goes back to going just straight to Rachel. As he, as straight back to Rachel. Rachel, how about a solo? And the only reason that this is not going to happen is because Rachel's pouting and she's in a mood. So she doesn't feel like having a solo right now. She's going to defer to this week's unsung heroes, Mercedes and Tina, who are pretty much the only people who have not gotten a significant singing portion of this episode um, as, you know, underappreciated voices in the Glee Club. So we are going to go over to the auditorium and get Dog Days Are Over, where it's Tina and Mercedes taking the lead here. All the kids are hiding behind the bleachers and then they come out and it's just a very cute little number with some scenes in the middle as we're going to see uh the the nameplate get changed for emma it's going to change to miss emma pillsbury uh dash howell which is carl's last name um we see kurt with the stupid bird uh and we see rachel taking down some of the finn memorabilia in her locker including the uh forever sign the number four ever that yeah she's going to take that down and uh dog days are over amon Yes, Florence and the Machine, bitch. I love this song. Um, and yes, I love Mercedes and Tina's voice together. It's amazing. Uh, I thought it's just a fun, fun number. I love when the episodes always end with the kids singing a number on the uh, on the stage, the stage of the April Rose Civic Pavilion. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a uh, this 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 number is a lot of fun, uh, and it's a number that I uh, that I sometimes i forget about but i when i come back to it i'm like oh yes i love this song about it this is this is one of the glee this is one of the glee kids favorite numbers uh tina on the showman's podcast that 
uh, Charles also is a listener of. Um, I'm sure you have heard her say this at one point or another. This is like one of the songs, one of the only songs that she like loves to go back and revisit, which is like, I always wonder about that. Like, do artists ever listen to like their own voice? Uh, I don't know. But I, she talks about how like she'll go back and visit this one often because they had so much fun with it and they loved how it came out. And I mean, I, I could not could not blame them in the slightest. This one is such a good cover with two, like I said, underutilized voices. They, you know, both of them get their moments, but like this is just incredible. Uh, Dog Days Are Over is one of the all-time great, all, you know, show-ending episodes, as you mentioned. So, Charles, any thoughts? Completely agree. I think in particular, these two voices are just so good together. Uh, Tina, as we know, needs so many more solos. I think, you know, we get a lot of Mercedes, but it, usually when we get Mercedes, it's it's a certain type of song. And it's very rarely a true collab with a voice that really meshes with her voice. It's usually just power with power. Um, and, the, you know, I think the other prime example that comes to my mind is a song that I think is, is you know, the single most underrated song in Glee is How Will I Know, mm-hmm. uh, the Whitney Houston episode. Um, which is all the girls and Kurt singing together. And Tina really has a big, big part of that too with Mercedes. And they just sound so good in that song too, when they do their harmonies. Um, and that, that, that brings me back to, you know, a very different vibe of the song, but when they really hit the chorus of how will I know, and, and this song as well, you can just hear those two voices blending together. Um, and it's, it's just fun. It's great. Um, the choreography is really fun. It's really weird and bizarre, but I really like how they, do you know the dancing with the legs and then hop back on stage and you know everyone looks like Glee. You can really tell when people when the actual cast is enjoying doing a number. Um, I think for Valerie that was definitely the case. And I think for the song it's you know definitely the case as well. They're dancing around and you can feel the energy and it's just a great way to end an episode that has a ton. Like I said at the top of the show, so many underrated songs. Um, I think it really ties a nice bow on you know finishing all the drama that we went through, but also highlighting how many good musical performances there are on this episode. I couldn't agree more. Um, and let's use this to jump right into our favorite songs, Aman, if you are ready to run down the, num- the, the great songs that we had in this episode, and we'll all pick out our favorites. All right. Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, sang by Kurt and Rachel. The Living Years, sang by the Broken Hipsters. <laughs> hey, Soul Sister, <laughs> sang by Blaine and the Warblers. I've had the time of my life sang by the New Directions. Valerie sang by Santana and the New Directions. Dog days are over. New fucking directions, bitch. All right. And do we do we want to make Charles go first? Charles, you're up first. Uh, I think the answer is obvious. So if you you know want to give us the answer, <laughs> but maybe you, feel free to you know throw in your second favorite as well. Yeah, I mean. You know, I, I, you know, you know, I love a good hot take, but I, just, you can't really get there here. It's just, it's just Valerie. Um, it's just, I, you know, we've gone into it in detail already. I don't want to spend more time on that. My second favorite, I think, is really tough. I, I think I've spoken really highly of, of, you know, three of the different. Uh, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eliminate the hipsters here out of contention, oh. but the, the, uh, the rest of the songs in this episode are are really, really good and kind of very similar in my mind. Um, that they're really enjoyable performances, very well done, but not, you know, in the top, top tier of all time performances. Um, gone to my head, I think I'm actually going to go with uh, Don't Cry From Argentina. Uh, I just think it's a little bit more, um, it resonates with me a little bit more as, like I said, it's one of my favorite uh, Kurt songs. Um, and I think the Warblers just had better numbers than Hey Soul Sister. And 
And I love Dog Days Are Over, but the, the New Directions definitely have better happy vibes. We just did something good end of number songs. The, the, you know, this is up there, but there are a few that I like definitely more. Um, and I and I honestly think that Don't Cry for Argentina might be my favorite um, Kurt song. So for that reason, I'm going to put it second. All right. Aman, what do you got? I mean, it's fucking Valerie. The second one would have to be Dog Days Are Over because... Yeah, I mean, I just I love Tina and uh, Mercedes voice together. Uh, I love Florence and the Machine. I think that Tina sounds absolutely amazing on it, especially during the operatic part of the song. She just sounds like, come on, Jenna Ushko, it's underutilized throughout the entire series. It's a crime. It's a crying shame. Ryan Murphy should be ashamed of himself. He should be drafting up a Tina uh, freaking spinoff right now. He ain't got nothing else to do but produce dumbass shit on like Hollywood on Netflix. So <laughs> I want it. I want it now. And that's it. That's the T for me. You know how we we should be rating these songs by like uh, skippability in the car kind of thing or wherever the hell you listen. I, I always say the car, but uh, like so many of these songs are like uh, like Charles mentioned earlier that he doesn't skip um, anytime it comes on. Uh, I think you were talking about Hey Soul Sister. Like there's so many of these songs that like I would never skip. Like four of these songs: Hey Soul Sister, I've had the time of my life, Valerie, and Dog Days Are Over. You're not gonna catch me skipping. Um, don't cry for me, Argentina. I might skip sometimes, but, um, so, so what's your number two number? No, you're assuming number one's Valerie, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> it uh, is, it is. It obviously is. Uh, my number two is also dog days are over. Um, as Aman just mentioned, everything that he just said about it is, uh, exactly how I feel. Dog days are over is so good. Um, and it's a shame that Valerie is in this episode and dog days are over. Doesn't get to be like the number one with the bullet. And then after that, uh, nobody's making me pick, but I do it to myself anyway. Um, I probably would go, I've had the time of my life over Hey Soul Sister, but like Hey Soul Sister is just still so good and iconic. That just speaks to how great these songs are. So it's a tough episode to pick, but I guess it's not because Valerie exists. So, <laughs> so there's that. Um, let's give out some slushy ratings. Uh, Charles, you want to go first? How many, how many slushies you give in this episode? Uh, I mean, I, it's one of my favorite episodes. So I guess that would be, sorry. Uh, I'd go with one slushy here. Uh, it's 20. Your know, favorite. I, I mean, you can give out a zero. I'm not telling you oh, you yeah, have to, I, but, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I take perfect perfection with, you know, a grain of salt. I would think zero is I would probably say for like my all time favorite, which I think is not quite, uh, but it's in the top three or four. Um, so, I, you know, can I do point five slushies? I you think can. it's I think it's point five slushies half for a me. Slushy for, half a slushy for Charles. Half a slushy for me. It's such a such a good episode. I think we've gone over why there's it's it's not just the music. You know, there's as we've talked about, there's four incredible songs plus. Um, other ones as well that that are just bangers but it's also it's such a fun episode there's so much stupidity but also it all comes back together in a, in a very neat and and great way that really to me this this is like quintessential glee um and what i love about glee uh, more than almost anything in season one um and and almost everything in the entire show so for that reason i think of it so fondly and, and it has to be you know up there with the best episodes of all time i'm on what do you got I think um yeah I think I agree with Charles I think I want to give a point five um yeah it's just it's it's kid centric for the most part we get so many interesting bits with everyone really I mean we get everything with uh with Michael Michael uh Brittany and Artie 
and we get this whole thing with uh, Rachel and Finn, which I think is going to be good for the both of them because now we get to see the two of them not attached at the hip anymore. Um, and then, of course, yeah, the, the musical uh, numbers in this episode are just so strong that I can't believe that it's an episode that I don't watch a lot of the time. And, of course, you know, with... Uh, uh, Sam and Quinn, like everything about this is just, it's just, it's a really, really good and well written episode of Glee. Well, I will uh, just, you know, I'm not going to further beat exactly home what you guys are saying. I'm also going to give it half a slushy. Uh, I feel the same way as both of you, and it's like not at that perfect level, like Charles said, but it is pretty close to it. So half a slushy feels about right here. Um, so pretty good episode overall, and we've got to give out some gold stars, and I'm going to break the usual format. Um, usually we have the guests go first for all aspects of this, but, um, Charles, I have to steal this one to go first here because, 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 because this is a moment that I've been waiting for, for a long time. And I cannot, I cannot let anybody take it away. I knew, I knew you would. And I'm very happy that you will. (laughs) I cannot let anybody take this away from me. I would maybe argue with Amon about it back and forth if he had given this person a stand card, but that's not the case. She has mine. Santana Lopez is getting on the board here with her first gold star of the entire choir room so far to this point. So Santana, you are on the board. You are my gold star for this episode. Good job. I can't imagine that's going to be the last one you give her. <laughs> say, oh, no, no, that. no. And I'm just so sad that it's the first one that I'm... It's like, it's... it's, it's yeah. I, so sad that we're now 22 episodes last season, uh, nine episodes or, uh, you know, eight before this one in this season. And it took so long. Um, they need to utilize Santana more than they have been. And they will. But it's taken a while. Santana and Valerie, we are on the board. Happy to be here. So, uh, Amon, do you want to go next or should we uh, let Charles take the next spot? It's up to you. Charles can go. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to break order, but I had to do that. No, it's, I'm glad you did. I'm, I, I'm so glad you got that moment. Was that, you know, <laughs> I, I was originally obviously going to go with Santana, and I think she's the pick. But I, you know, I spent a lot of time you know, switching, thinking about who I was going to give the gold star to and going back and forth on this. Um, and I think there's so many little moments that are really good this episode um, that, that really highlight characters. Um, and I ended up like being between... Um, Lauren Zeises and Quinn and I think Quinn is underrated for this episode again just uh, I think she's fantastic in time of your life and 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 has a, some really funny lines around Rachel uh, where she's the one who says you used to be just unlikable but now I want to punch you in the face every time you open your mouth which I think was a great line in that moment and then obviously i you know i talked about how much i love her voice and i think it's you know this is one of the times it's most highlighted in especially in a competition format um so she's definitely up there for me but i think i'm ultimately going to go with lauren's Isis. you know for introduction i uh, want to make sure she gets her due i'm sure she will get a, one or two more um as we go but you know I, the fact that i might not be there for that uh makes me makes me want to give her due while i'm here and when i can um as i said at the beginning of the show she has so many good lines this episode. The fact that she wanted to go to Seven Men to Heaven with the guy that was in a poor poly for 24 hours um, is hilarious. Um, the Cadbury eggs line is so fucking funny. Um, and, you know, everything that happens in the green room and, and everything else. That, and like Amon said, she bops. She, she is on the choreography on a very tough song to dance to that's super high energy. And, and we haven't seen her performance at that moment. So, you know, doesn't necessarily get the most singing songs throughout her time on the show, but I wanted to appreciate her her musical talent here as well. Uh, definitely going to Lauren's Icy's here. 
I love it. I love I love a Lauren Star. I'm glad uh, I'm glad she's also now on the board. Amon, where are you going? I hmm. As if he didn't just have the last twenty minutes to think about it. <laughs> There's so many good options this episode. Truly. I think I just have to give it to Santana as well. I mean, she really blossoms in this show, and she totally won this episode. I mean, she got everything that Rachel wanted, the solo and some nookie from Finn. Like, I mean, she got it retroactively, but still. <laughs> like, I just, you know, so I, I just feel like it was just, this is like the past the point of no return for her. It's like you cannot, you cannot have Santana have such a big part of this episode and then leave her in the dust for the rest of the series. And she most certainly is not. So I just feel like, you know, she's here, she's here to stay, and that has to be rewarded uh, with with a gold star so she went from having zero to having two yeah i listen i'm not gonna argue i <laughs> i i think as i've you know i think i've shown my stand card i just wanted to kind of mix things up a little bit but obviously iconic uh and i just wanted to do a quick shout out to to tina as well uh you know i think she has a pretty big episode in terms of the whole plot line with mike obviously there's some parts that are a little cringy but it's nice for her to get her due and then obviously we all talked about how much we love her performance uh in dog days so uh you know i wanted to give her a shout out even if she's a tier below these other people for stars well fair enough uh tina cohen chang does not get uh has not gotten many gold stars but i hope that she gets more she deserves them um but yeah very very happy that lauren in her debut in the glee club is also on the board as well so uh that's about all i've got for this episode charles any more uh takes from anything up until season two episode nine here that uh, that you want to get off your chest? Any other characters that you have strong feelings about uh, that you have not been able to yet mention? No, I mean I think I think listen, I think we did a lot of kind of thinking about what, what's coming, and and definitely excited to hear you guys' takes on what, what's coming going forward. Um, like I said, I think this is a major turning point episode of the show, um, and uh, I think it only gets better from here for for a while. Um, and excited to potentially come on again and talk about um, some other iconic performances that are very different uh, than what we talked about here. Uh, so uh, thanks for guys for having me. It's a blast. I've been looking forward to um, I was hoping that somebody would create a Glee podcast. Um, <laughs> and, you know, a few have popped up in, you know, obviously, as Matt has mentioned several times, Showmance, which is great, but, um, you know, very short form um uh you know very kind of by the book a lot of ads Uh, and all the the ads are just i was about to say the ads are just tough to get through so listening to you guys has been an absolute pleasure for me um and just excited to be a part of that uh as well yeah, we don't have ads by choice, definitely by choice, not, uh, not for any other reason. We, we are just determined to keep you guys all ad free. Uh, but yes, Charles, very, very happy that we finally got you in here. Uh, thank you for coming by. And um, so, so, so nice to have so many friends that love this show. So it's so much fun to talk about with everybody that comes by here. Uh, Charles, you're really not a big social media guy. Anywhere you want people to follow you on social media? Uh, you know, if you really want, if you want to interact with me, make it about Glee or, or something similar. I mean, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I think the handle these days is at the cursed child. Did K-U-R-Z. I, did I give you that? Yeah, I think you did. I think I did. Yeah. Listen, as Matt said, I'm not big on social media. Um, but you know, I will, if I see a notification with a Glee, uh, take, I will, I will be very interested in starting a conversation with you. 
So um, if you do want to follow me on there, I don't tweet often. Uh, you can you can definitely go for it. Awesome. And Aman, uh, what else? Uh, we want to run through our endless amount of plugs if we even remember how to do those. It's been so long. <laughs> um, yeah. If you would like to reach out to us, you can DM us on Twitter. We are at Choir Room Pod on Twitter. Um, yeah. Message us. Tweet. Yes, you can also follow us individually. Matt's at Matt Ligori. I'm at Amon Adwin. Um, yeah, and we're, we're going to have more guests just like Charles coming through. And yeah, this has been this has been very, very fun. I'm glad that you came along um, for the ride, Charles. It's been it's been a pleasure. Yeah, so we've got one more episode here in this set that you guys should have in your feed. We've got Christmas coming up that yes. Amon is very excited for. Um, I... yes! Don't want to spoil. Don't want to spoil. But judging by your reactions, it seems like you're a pretty big fan of the holiday episodes. I love Christmas. I'm such a whore for Christmas. You know, it's funny because right now, I uh, the past two days, I've I've had all the Christmas decorations in my house. Uh, we've gone through them. We're kind of like cleaning some stuff out, splitting some stuff up. So I've been in the Christmas world a lot for it to be, you know, it's May right now. So that's a little weird, but um, I guess fitting because we're about to watch a Christmas episode tomorrow. So yeah, um, I, I'm excited for it. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you are more excited for it, but uh, <laughs> still happy to get uh, there. So I literally like whenever, cause I've had Christmas parties at my house for the past three years. I always have a log in the fireplace burning and I, as I'm cooking for the party and everything, I always have like Christmas music playing. And then I have the, all of the, all the Christmas specials playing on the TV um, on mute, just in the background, just for ambiance. I just love it. I just, I am such a Christmas King. I love Christmas. Charles and I are like, where's our invites? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you want to come to Philly, you're more than welcome. I'll be there. I'll be there. Um, so that's all we got for you guys for this episode. Um, follow us in all those places, and we will see you in the next episode. And Amon, where are we going to see the next? Regionals? Yeah, we'll see you at Regionals.